And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, our Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. My name is Jack Pitbrook and I'm joined as always by James Moore. Right now you can subscribe to The Athletic for a special price. Enjoy great analysis and in-depth features from the very best football writers around, as well as ad-free versions of all of our podcasts for less than £1 per week. Just go to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod to sign up and enjoy The Athletic throughout 2021. That's theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. We're going to start today's podcast in a positive way. Tottenham won. They won a Premier League game for the first time in three weeks. They kept a Premier League clean sheet for the first time in five weeks. Harry Kane's back after 10 days out with an ankle trouble. Tangi and Dombele can work in the midfield too. Uh, James, everything's going to be okay. Everything's going to be okay? Uh, I mean, I, I would say your intonation on the on the second time you said that was probably slightly more accurate. The, the sort of question mark, the, the rising inflection at the end. Three points behind Chelsea and West Ham, four points behind Liverpool, game in hand, fourth is back on. Everything will be okay if they can play teams like West Brom every week. Now, unfortunately, <laughs> you know more about football than I do, but unfortunately I've, I've been made aware that isn't going to be what happens. And they will have to play, with all due respect, what I would call proper teams. Um, obviously, you know, it was good. It was good to win the game. You can't really ask much more than that. You can only beat what's put in front of you, Jack. Uh, and there were, you know, you're right, there were some positives there. Kane coming back so quickly, assuming he doesn't break down again, is obviously a massive thing. Uh, seeing a non-play in that deeper role where he can kind of get the ball rolling and orchestrate attacks from further down the pitch, which should help. You know, we talked about how much difficulty the, the team have had progressing the ball up the pitch. Yeah. Um, and in theory, him playing that little bit deeper should help with that once they get, particularly once they get a La Celso or a Deli Alley in the team. Hopefully that does happen sooner rather than later. Um, but, but I have to say, and you and I were talking about this yesterday, uh, and I was too scared to tweet it after some of my other uh, controversial opinions drew uh, ire from Mourinho fans over the last few days. But I, I didn't really see much in that game that encouraged me things were going to improve in any massive way. I, I'm not sure there's loads that we learned there. Like those positives were things that we already knew. We knew Spurs needed Kane and he was a fantastic player. Um, we knew or we were fairly confident that Ndombele would do a job in that role and it would be kind of to the benefit of the team in that kind of match. Obviously, we know against one of the stronger sides, you might want to soak in there with Hoiberg, fine. And we knew that, you know, Lucas and Lamella are capable players on their day. And against a team like West Brom, they should be able to do a job. Whether or not you quite think they did a job, I mean, I think I've seen differing opinions on that. I mean, for me, yeah. I think Lamella was good at keeping things ticking over, good at kind of, you know, plugging away and keeping them all moving uh, and keeping, you know, making runs off the ball and, and kind of 
spotting a few passes, even if everything didn't come off. But Lucas, uh, despite the assist, only did very well in that counter-attack. I'm not so sure he had quite as good a game. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, look, it was obviously good, but I, I'm not going to be getting carried away about that. Let's put it that way. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Um, and you're right, West Brom were really bad. Like, I spent a lot of this the first half of this season laughing at how few points Sheffield United have got. Because there's just something really funny about a team having two or three points after 15 games or whatever it was. But Sheffield United are miles better than West Brom. Oh, yeah, like, yeah. Miles, really cool. miles better. Like, Sheffield United are a really proper team and they work hard and they've obviously been quite unlucky with results this year, having lost so many games by one goal to nil. But West Brom are terrible. Like, I mean, like, having no quality is one thing, but it happens. But being that much of a shambles at the back at the same time, like, they were all over the place. Like, they were. They were really badly... I know Big Sam's only been there a bit, so you can't blame him that much. But generally speaking, you'd expect a team at that end of the Premier League, managed by Big Sam, to make it difficult. And they didn't really make it difficult at all. And I mean, you know, with a better finishing, Spurs would have scored five goals, which is really saying something, given how badly they Spurs have played for the last two weeks. I, I mean, I've got to say, when we were talking about the previous West, uh, West Brom game at the Hawthorns in November or whenever it was, I think October maybe, Yeah. I actually remember us saying that West Brom had defended pretty well in that game. It was They defended pretty resolutely and Spurs kind of struggled to break them down and obviously they got the goal from Kane in the last minute. I don't know, maybe that was kind of looking at that through the lens of thinking Spurs were a good attacking team at that point and not being quite yeah. so prepared for the struggles that were to follow, even if we had actually touched on it earlier in the season, I think after the first game even. But yeah, I, I mean, they're not, they're not a good side, you know, with all due respect. I know that's a bit of a cliche, but I, I, they're just not a good team, are they? I, I, and, you know, I mean, Lee Peltier, Lee Peltier, who's been like a good football league player for the last decade or so, coming in, I think it's his second game in the Premier League, playing at right back. I mean, it, it's, it's probably a sign of not a great team to have someone coming in and playing at 31, playing their second Premier League game. Like I say, I mean, I'd, I'd be loath to kind of, I'd be loath to be critical because that's just not constructive, but I, that, I don't look at that and think, this is a massive positive sign. I mean, obviously it's encouraging and not bad, but I don't think you can really look at the performance and the result and say, that's a massive step in the right direction. It's just not. Yeah, well, I guess it is. I mean, it's, it's a step in the right direction of some size. And I guess the size of that step will only really become apparent uh, down the line. Because, you know, maybe this is the turning point for the rest of the season. Who knows? One thing well, we... Well, well, one th- yeah, like, we, we don't know. One thing we do know... And this is so obvious, I can't even believe I'm, I'm going to say it. Harry Kane makes a massive difference. He just makes, he makes such a big difference. He really is. I mean, so that, this is what I've written my piece on this morning. It's this idea of the Harry Kane team. And obviously when, you know, when Guardiola said this about Tottenham in October 2017, when Spurs were really, really, really at their peak, um, Pochettino got very offended by it. And I can kind of see why he did, because Pochettino is so much about, you know, everyone, about unity and togetherness and the group and that sort of thing. And it's not about it's not about individuals. And Pochettino would never talk about individuals in press conferences. He'd never, he'd hate it when somebody says, well, why didn't you pick Deli Ali Or why didn't you pick Kevin Vimmer? Or that sort of thing. It was just a very, he had a very, his approach to management was very much like everyone's like- equal. Everyone must be a specific anecdote there, surely, Kevin Wimmer. I mean, what is that? Has that actually oh, yeah, happened they, to you? Has he, he called you out? He got. He. I remember he got. Ups, he got. He got offended when it was a Champions League away game. It was either by Leverkusen or CSK Moscow. I think it was by Leverkusen. 
And somebody asked you, can you clear up the confusion about why, can you clear up the confusion about Kevin Vimmer was the question. And the, uh, I think Pochettino took this as kind of like why, you, I think Pochettino thought that the, the press that we were accusing him of lying about Vimmer or something. And he, uh, yeah, he got, he, he wasn't happy about it at all. And uh, he, he doesn't like, he, and he also, and he said, like, it's very disrespectful for you to say, why aren't you picking Vimmer? Because it's like, how disrespectful is that to the centre-backs I have picked? Or, and it's the same with any player. Like when we'd ask him, why, why didn't you pick Vincent Janssen? He, would, he thought it was disrespectful to the guys who had, been, had in fact been picked. Um, so, but I don't think Mourinho thinks like that. Mourinho doesn't mind, Mourinho doesn't really believe in equality in the same way. And he doesn't believe in, he, he doesn't mind a, a team where there are some players are bigger than others, basically. And that is what he's got. You know, he, I, I think, and I, James, I'd be interested to hear your take on this. I think that only Messi and Barcelona are a more dependent on one player team in world football right now. I can't think of anything out of any other any other team which is where there's that much of a contrast between with and without one certain player. Certainly not City, Liverpool, Bayern, Real Madrid, I don't know. Um, PSG have got Neymar and Mbappe, obviously. Obviously, Juventus got Ronaldo, but I don't think Ronaldo is actually that good for Juventus, even though he does score a lot of goals. I think he actually... I don't watch them a lot, but my general impression is that he makes them worse when he does play. So I just think, whereas Kane, Kane, I think, is like Messi in the sense that he does, not only is he the best goal scorer, he's also the best creator. And to remove him from the team is just, there's just two completely different teams with and without. And uh, who else? Did, who else? Did, I mean, Barcelona have obviously got Griezmann as well and Dembele. Uh, they don't have Suarez anymore. Um but yeah, I just can you think of any other teams, James? Who are well, firstly, I'm just trying to work out which which of those which of the things you just said is going to be the clip that we use on social media, whether it's going to be Mourinho doesn't believe in equality or Kane is like Messi. Be one or other of those two that goes out on Twitter. I'm looking forward to seeing which one it is because you're going to get you're going to get abuse from someone one way or the other, and possibly uh, be served legal legal action as well. Um, yeah, I think it's probably safe to say, and you know, you've mentioned that you've written about it today, and I think Michael Cox wrote about it for us after the Liverpool game. The Spurs are more dependent on Kane now than ever, and I don't yeah, think that's definitely entirely down to like the average ability of the rest of the team going down. Although maybe you would make an argument that that has happened over the last three or four years, um, but it's it, tactically he is so central to everything they do, and it's not just about like him scoring goals in the penalty area like he always has done. It's about him being central to like the counter-attacks that obviously they're so dependent on now. Um, and any kind of interplay involving any of the other forward players. You know, and I, wa- I watched watching the game yesterday and seeing that second goal and you know, watching Lucas find Son of a good pass and Son finishing. And you look at it and think, oh, okay, it's, quite, it's actually quite good to see Spurs score a goal about Kane being involved. And then you wind it back and look at it again. And Kane's made that little layoff to, to Lucas, so he's got the pre-assist as well. Brilliant. So, <laughs> he's still brilliant. Like heavily involved in the goal, like in a sort of, actually not actually a subtle way, obviously, it was really obvious what he did. Um, but I just had missed it in the moment. Uh, yeah, and it's a really, like you say, it's a really good, really good touch, and not many players could do that in that squad, I don't think. So, yeah, I mean, they're massively dependent on him. Uh, and look, you can't, you, you shouldn't, or you shouldn't criticise a manager for... Uh, 
leaning into that to, to kind of squeezing the most out of a player like he has done with Kane. I mean, he should be praised for that. What I would say is that there was and is an inevitability about Kane missing matches, whether it's for injury or fatigue or whatever. You can't have him play 60 games in a season. You need to find a way of playing without him. Uh, and I, I kind of think they're taking a step back in that regard a little bit this season. I'm, not, I'm just not sure having watched them play two and a half games without him over the last two weeks or 10 days, like there was any kind of plan in place for that, any kind of, um, yeah, any kind of plan B. I, I, it, that That is a big problem, I think. I, and to be that reliant on one player is a bad thing, I think, even if they are clearly one of the best players in the world. But yeah, you're right. I mean, I can't think of another team in the Premier League who rely as heavily on one player. Grealish, Villa? Yeah, Maybe. That probably is as close as you're going to get. Or maybe, I mean, Ings at Southampton, but even then I think they've had games where they played Dit Adams up front and they've done all right. Yeah. Yeah, so probably Greenish at Villa. So probably as, that's probably as close as you're going to get. Yeah, it'd be interesting to compare the stats. I did a piece with uh, Mark Carey, who's one of our, our new stats writers, about this the other day, looking at just how how dependent Spurs are on Kane. So recently when Duncan Alexander from Opta came on this podcast and he said that Spurs were the, this Spurs team was the most dependent on two forward players since the Peter E. Sunderland team in terms of Kane and Son, I think getting 75% of the goals, which was similar to uh, Niall Quinn and Kevin Phillips, that Sunderland side. So um, Mark Carey looked at the uh, ex- expected goals plus expected assists per 90 so expected assists is like expected goals, but it's, you know, who does the pass rather than who takes the shot. And again, so Kane and Son were producing more than 50% of Spurs' XG plus XA per 90. I think Kane was getting about 27%, 28% on that. So it's obviously really, really big numbers. And uh, yeah, it would be intriguing to see a comparison with Grealish at Villa, who I think must be the only... I can't think of another individual at a Premier League team who does so much of the creation by himself. Um but yeah, it's obviously, you know, I think I I don't think it's just I don't think it's quite right to say that this is a situation that Mourinho's inherited. I think it's also I think it's a situation that Mourinho's inherited and that he has accelerated as well. This Kane dependence, yeah. uh, just because the way that his teams attack is it's not like you know, it's not a very systematic approach to attack. It's not like he pushes both fullbacks on at the same time and runners from midfield, and it's not like he encourages everyone to get on the ball and try things. Uh, it really is. It's really quite narrow in that sense. Like it really does just flow through these guys. And uh, what I would say about that in Mourinho's defence, two things. One, whenever Kane got injured under Pochettino, it did always seem to take like a game and a half, two games before they worked out what they were going to do. Even yeah. though it was always just play Sun up front and play three balls to him, it always seemed to take him a, a little while to get used to the idea of that. And two, Mourinho did kind of. <laughs> In the period of time between Kane getting injured at the start of 2020 and Son getting injured, kind of, what, six weeks, two months in, they kind of had sort of found the solution. Obviously, they beat Man City. It kind of looked like they could get results. You know, they won at Villa in the game where Son got injured. So it wasn't like it didn't happen. And I guess, you know, you could say they only had two and a half games this time around. But it does feel like, like you say, there's been a bit of a regression there in how they're reacting to that. And we talked about like whether or not they could have played Lamella instead of Kane and just kind of asked him to just try and play through balls the Son all game. Um, whether or not that actually would have worked, who knows? But uh, to me, it would have maybe seemed like if you're going to try and ape the system they've been playing before, that they, that's what they should have done rather than sticking Vinicius in. And I know I said Vinicius should have played, but in hindsight, maybe that was wrong. 
Yeah, and the other defence I'd make of Mourinho on this point is that, um, you know, he's had to put up with the loss of Christian Eriksen a year ago. Lo Celso's not really been able to put together a run of forms, a run of games this season. Deli Ali's had his own problems. You know, you might say that's Mourinho's fault for not picking him. You know, your mileage will vary on that. So clearly, Mourinho doesn't have as many creative talented players at his disposal as Pochettino did in the past so maybe it has been you know it's kind of understandable when you've got a player like Kane why would you not make your team so dependent on him because he's just that good um but yeah I did think that that pre-assist was amazing and the other thing one more thing I wanted to say about the pre-assist uh before we move on is that it was just so cool because this is a team of players who don't try things this you know this how many Spurs, Spurs in the last few weeks have looked? The players have looked like they don't want the ball, they don't want to try anything, they don't want to build up the players yeah, in the back. Yeah, we and know then, why that is, don't we? Because we saw Deli yeah. try something in that league. It's Stoke, time. yeah, yeah. yeah. And we have, he's played one game since, he started one game since, and that was against Marine. And what Delhi did, you know, Delhi lost the ball, I think, in the Stoke half at that point, whereas this was, you know, Kane trying something 30 yards from his own goal. So it's just, uh, yeah, it does really stand out in that sense. It's been, wow, like a Spurs player trying something like difficult and dangerous. And, you know, it's just, it's that in itself is rare. And then, of course, it worked perfectly because 10 seconds later, Spurs were tuning up against West Brom. So, um, yeah, for, to me, it stood out as a cool moment. And that's not something we've said uh, very often recently. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7, U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Something else I wanted to talk about, which I liked from yesterday, was Ndombele's role. So in the press conference last week, uh, Mourinho made a big deal about saying how in the past, Ndombele was only, could only really play as a number 10 in his system, whereas now he can play as a midfielder. And that means you can play him with a more creative player ahead of him, which is not something that we've really seen at all from Spurs this season. Uh, he said... Tangi is Tangi now is a midfield player. It's not Tangi or Delhi, Tangi or Geo. It can be Tangi and Delhi, Tangi and Geo. Um, now, of course, Delhi Ali and Celso are both not available for this particular game, but because Ndombele did play in this new role for the first time, really, that he's played in a two in a four-two-three-one. Like we've seen him play in a midfield two in a three-four-three, but that's different because obviously in a three-four-three you've only got three players in front of you, whereas in a four-two-three-one you've got four players in front of you. So it's a more attacking system. Um, and I thought it worked really well. I thought Spurs did, you know, again, let's be clear, it was against Sam Allardyce's West Brom, who were absolutely awful. Uh, but I did think Spurs generally moved the ball a bit better. I thought and having having Ndombele with four players in front of him rather than three created more opportunities. I think, you know, on another day, they would have scored a, an absolute hatful. Uh, 
And I thought, yeah, it worked well. And, you know, I think it worked even better when they do get Deli or Lacelso into those positions rather than Lucas or Lamella. Yeah, I mean, I think the best game most people would have seen in Dumbele have won't have been for Tottenham, it would have been for Leon against Manchester City in 2018. And in that game, he played in the two rather than a sort of attacking midfield three. And he basically ran that game. It was absolutely amazing, wasn't he? I mean, it was a complete revelation. Uh, I think Leon won that game 2-1 at the Etihad. Yeah, so good. Uh, and he ran the show. He was absolutely brilliant. So he, that that game was like a like a big part of the excitement that uh, the Spurs fans were, or that was a bit. That was a big part of why Spurs fans were excited about him signing in uh, 2019. Uh, so yeah, I mean, that's kind of the thing we've been waiting for this whole time. And uh, <laughs> you know, well, we talked about this a lot last season. It was the main thing we spoke about last season was the fact that you couldn't really rely on this guy to play in a central midfielder in a Premier League game when, uh, to put it diplomatically, clearly he didn't have the legs for it, let's say. Um, but now it, it feels like his fitness and sharpness is at a level that he can do that. Uh, although he obviously did get a little knock and end up coming off around about the hour mark anyway yesterday, didn't he? So we didn't actually see that he could do it for the full 90. But I mean, I think the signs are pretty good, weren't they? And, you know, I mean, to say he kept things ticking over is probably sort of understanding it a little bit. But I think the fact that he was able to like, I know we kind of compared him to Dembele before in a way that he can kind of dictate the tempo of the game and kind of press resistance is that thing that you're always going on about, isn't it? I go on about it a bit, but not as much as uh, American stats bloggers who go on about it a lot. We're going to have loads of American people listening to this. In nothing against American listeners. I love you guys. Yeah, so he, he, he you know, he's press resistant as, uh, as you quite often like to say. Uh, and it just, yeah, it felt like there was a more natural flow to the way Spurs were playing. And obviously, a big part of that will be West Brom were kind of content to sit six, seven, eight players behind the ball, particularly in that first half when it was nil nil. So that, you know, will be a big part of why Spurs had much more of the ball than they had done in the previous games. But we you know we've seen from past experience that it's all very well and good to have loads of the ball and to be up against a kind of packed defence. But if you don't have a player who can kind of recycle the ball quickly and find, the attacking players in the right positions, then, you know, there's just no point in having the ball. So, I mean, I can't think off the top of my head that there actually was a moment that he found one of those kind of killer passes and it really opened West Brom up. I mean, the best pass of the game was obviously the Hoiberg one for the Kane goal. And that was the kind of thing that was missing that maybe you will get more of if a, if a Delia or a Lo Celso is in the team. But yeah, I mean, clearly there was an improvement to the way they were playing, to the way they were moving the ball. Uh, to the way they were trying to find those spaces, which against Chelsea and Brighton, obviously Brighton, the more damning one there, just wasn't happening at all. I mean, they just couldn't, they just couldn't play football in those two games. They couldn't play football. <laughs> yeah, and that really isn't did. an exaggeration to say that. It, no. it, it was absolutely pathetically abysmal. But so, yeah, I mean, yeah, having, having said it wasn't a massive step forward earlier, but I mean, perhaps actually it was because they, they could actually play the sport that they're being paid to play which just wasn't a thing against, against Brighton or Chelsea. Yeah, indeed, indeed. And I completely agree. And also, they, um, I thought it, it was interesting how the two guys who Mourinho fell back on for this game were Lucas and Lamella, who've obviously been in and around the team all year, but it's kind of easy to forget in the course of all the rotation. This was Lucas's first Premier League start since the 26th of October and Lamella's first Premier League start since the 1st of November. So in both cases, it's been like more than three months and they've just been playing the Cup games and the Europa League games. Lucas and Lamella have got their own have got plenty of critics, um, but they are both really experienced players who've played at the top level for a very long time. Mourinho said in kind of typical Mourinho style afterwards that they were quote proper men, proper team men, and they. Uh, I what does that mean? Like, 
I mean, I, I personally wouldn't say that, but I kind of know what he's getting at with that comment. Like well, what, does, are, what does he mean then? I don't understand what he meant by that. I just, Sorry, think, he, I just, think, like... he, I just think he means they're experienced. They're experienced and re- reliable. You know what you're going to get with those two. I'm very much in the headspace now where, where I'm thinking that everything Mourinho says is like a coded dig at someone else. So I assumed when he said that, that he was like sort of slightly well, maybe, yeah. and saying player X is not this. Well, yeah. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. Uh, and I thought both those... I thought Lucas did well, obviously, carrying the ball through to Son for the goal, for the second goal. It's the kind of thing that Lucas often screws up. Like, he's he's offered, you know, the number of times that he'll he'll go on a good run and beat two players and then try and beat a third and a fourth player and then eventually run into someone. Or... He did that twice yesterday, didn't he? Like, yeah, he the ball up on the edge was... of the box and beat, like, three or four really quickly. And you think, oh, here we go. Oh, my God, this is brilliant. And then suddenly yeah. it's like, you've got a pass or oh. shoot now. And he just sort of, like, puts his foot on the ball and turns back and then loses it. Yeah, or tries to take on a fifth defender. And you think, Christ, Lucas. But that didn't happen. Lamella actually also had an amazing little dribble of his own, which he then... Kind of, so he beat like three or four players and then did a, a kind of rubbish sort of nothing cross shot, which yeah. is rolled out of play. Yeah. I think with everybody fit and that system, it'd be kind of tempting to play LaCelso and Ali, wouldn't it, instead of Lucas and Lamella? Or maybe Bergwin and LaCelso instead of Lucas and Lamella. I just think if you played that system, then suddenly you've got, uh, you know, you've got the team opens up a bit, like the team becomes a more exciting team. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you're playing against a team who are going to kind of pack out the defence, then, yeah, it stands to reason that you chuck a couple of those players in and see what you can do. Tweet question we got in from Hallow Newman, who says, Genuinely curious what you guys on the view from the lane think Lamella's ceiling could have been if he wasn't injury prone. Now, I think it's a really interesting question because it's like, just how technically good is Lamella? That's what I think it's getting at because, you know, it's tempting to think... It's tempting to think of him as being this like brilliant Argentinian number ten, like creative player. But actually, the, I think as his career goes on, his the technical side of his game gets worse and worse. Yeah, like, we, uh, we just feel miles away from the Rabona Lamella now, and it's, he's just more about like charging around, scurrying, kicking people. It, I mean, I, we, you know, this might sound a bit unfair, but is that like him transitioning from being a Pochettino player when I, I think he was a pretty good balance of? Uh, showboating and shithousing let's say yeah. to now being a Mourinho player where he's definitely leaning more into the shithousing than showboating I mean I just you know what I mean I like the the Rabona is kind of a thing that you do when you're a player who's kind of happy to take the odd risk with the ball right I'm yeah. not sure that would be the kind of thing that, like you know if, if, if a player had done that in a game with Mourinho as manager and missed a target when there was like a pass on or whatever I mean you can imagine what the reaction to that would be I mean and maybe that's fair enough yeah, if it does feel like like the technical side of his game is kind of, I mean, that's been really pronounced this season. I think. Yeah. I mean, maybe that is a result of being in and out of the team the whole time, but it does really feel like we're seeing far fewer of those. I mean, the thing I'll always remember Lamella for now is the last minute of the Ajax away game where he's like trying to do stepovers and drag backs and stuff, but rather than running the ball into the corner flag, he's like trying to go past people. I mean, you know, fortunately it didn't cost us, but Jesus Christ, if it did, I mean, whatever. Um, yeah, he's clearly a very good player. I, he does feel like he should be a very Mourinho player as well for that reason. That he's got that yeah. willingness to kind of indulge in the dark arts and stuff. It's mad to think that he had a season, the season before he joined Spurs, where he scored 15 goals in the league for Roma. Yeah. And we know, like, you know, historically not many players get that kind of number in Serie A. It's just not the kind of league where you get, like, high goal scorers. So to get 15 goals in, the, in, a, in a season there is probably the equivalent of, what, 20 maybe in the Premier League? Yeah. 
probably not an exaggeration, which is an incredible return. We just haven't ever seen like, I can't, I can't really fathom that. I can't picture it. I can't imagine the kind of goals he scored. There's a, there's a YouTube video of all of the goals that uh, Moussa Dembele scored for Arzai Alkmaar in the season he played oh, yeah. for them under Van Gaal and won the league in Holland. And it's, it's mad to watch Dembele score like 20 goals in a season. It just doesn't, doesn't feel right. And I'm now going to watch all of Lamella's goals in 2012-13 for mm-hmm. Roma because I want to yeah. see what they were like. They can't all be Rabonas. He hasn't scored a Premier League goal for Mourinho. There you go. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Elsewhere this week, since our last podcast, Tottenham obviously played Chelsea last Thursday night and it went pretty badly. And I think we have to acknowledge the fact that before the West Brom game, the mood was pretty bad. Um, I thought I think that run of the Liverpool, Brighton, West Brom games was clearly the worst run of the Mourinho era. I mean, it's quite difficult at the moment to for me to kind of draw a line between each what happened in each of those three games because they just kind of merge into one another, like just this kind of mess of anti football. I don't know what's going to happen next week or so, James, but I feel like. I feel like that that run of three straight defeats did seem to push a few people or push the mood in a kind of anti-Mourinho direction a bit. That's just my impression from social media and from speaking to fans. Do you sense that things have turned against Jose or can he still turn it around? I mean, yeah, I would definitely say that for the most part, the the reaction to those three matches, the performances, not just the results, has been hugely negative, which I I don't think is unreasonable. It's like uh, such a sort of paucity of uh, like imagination or bravery in the way they played in those two games uh, sorry three games sorry uh, it was it was really poor I mean look, you could look at that and say Chelsea are obviously a good side who are now on the up Liverpool despite getting slapped around by Man City on Sunday and losing to Brighton obviously they're one of the best sides in the Premier League regardless of that they're still fourth in the league at the moment so you know losing to them losing to them isn't the end of the world. The performance obviously was bad, and the way they the way they lost the game was clearly a big concern. But I mean, Brighton was just uh, you know one of the worst performances I think I've seen from a from a decent Spurs team. I've seen I've seen bad Spurs teams play worse than that, obviously. But one that I kind of have 
reasonable expectations of them being able to get results in games like that. I don't think I can remember too many where they've gone somewhere like Brighton and it's not like going to Stoke Circa 2008, is it? Uh, you know, especially without fans there as well. It's yeah, their first right. time win since June or whatever it was in sort of maybe a dozen matches, maybe more. So that was definitely a bad one. I mean, it's funny, isn't it? If you look at it and, you know, if they'd beaten, if, even if they'd, you know, forget Chelsea and Liverpool, if they'd beaten Brighton and Fulham and had those extra five points, they'd be like right in them. I think they'd be fourth, three points off second, uh, three points off third and four points off second or something like that. So, you know, it, 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 it only kind of held on against Fulham and managed to kind of play sensibly against Brighton, then you'd kind of still be incredibly optimistic about how the season could go, I guess, which is maybe a sign of what the margins are like this season. I do kind of fancy that things will start to open up over the next couple of weeks. I mean, we've obviously seen that happen already right at the top with City, who now suddenly are five points clear of second or with a game in hand or whatever it is and are obviously going to win the league now, probably by distance. So (laughs) it does kind of feel like it is kind of just slightly kind of opening up now in that top sort of eight. I don't know if you yeah. agree with that. But, you know, in previous weeks, if you won a game, having lost a couple, you'd, you'd kind of go up. I mean, it's probably happened when Spurs lost those two games before Christmas. You know, you win a game and then you go up like two or three places and it feels like suddenly you're in a in a decent position again. But Spurs, I think, maybe went up one place having won that game at the weekend in the end because, you know, they went above Chelsea and then Chelsea won later, so they went back down below them again. Suddenly, having talked about a title challenge and looking almost certain to be in a Champions League are now talking about being outsiders to qualify for the top four. That's certainly how I would feel that would go. You're kind of looking at needing Liverpool to really continue to kind of struggle for the rest of the season or Leicester to drop off like we did last season and Chelsea to not maintain their form of the last few weeks, which, you know, I mean, obviously they're not going to win every game, but it's not going to take too much. You know, they're not going to need, they're going to need quite a big drop off probably, I think. For me to be confident, I suppose you're going to be able to finish above them. I mean, I know they're only three points ahead or whatever it is, but uh, to me, I, I would I would be surprised if Spurs finish above Chelsea for me. It looks like they've kind of got a bit between their teeth and they yeah. suddenly kind of feel like they're actually a semi-competent football team all of a sudden. And obviously, they've had good players before and they were top of the league in November or whenever. Uh, yeah, I agree. It's uh, I think top four is going to be hard. It's not that I don't... It's just I think there's too many teams... Uh, there's too many teams there. I think it's just a bit better than Spurs. Like Leicester, Chelsea, Liverpool, Man United, and I just don't think you know. Obviously, Spurs can finish ahead of them if they drop points, but I just don't think. I just don't. You know, looking at Spurs recently, I don't think they're a team who are going to go on a great run. What, what it is, though, like is I think fourteen that, of their remaining games. What it is is I think that all of those teams are like relatively similar in terms of like yeah. their sort of average performance over the course of the season. Um, but Spurs have just dropped so many points in those other games. And like, you know, like I said, put, put Chelsea and Liverpool aside um, and look at you know, Wolves, Palace before Christmas, you know, Fulham and, and Brighton, as I mentioned before, you know, even if you don't win all of those games, even if you, you know, win two, draw one, or win two, draw two, say. So yeah, like I said before, we're going to put an extra five points on it. You'd still kind of think they were like, Spurs were in a kind of competitive position for the last... 40% of the season or whatever it is but they just laboured in all of those games at the worst possible time when it felt like you know getting points on the board would be really important and now suddenly it kind of feels like yeah it's going to be incredibly difficult I mean I, you know, I put that tweet out last week about uh, Mourinho deserving to go to prison if Spurs finish below West Ham I mean that was I don't want to lean too heavily on a Stuart Lee bit I mean that was a joke but it is also what I think <laughs> but, I mean I think I, I could definitely see that happening now you know West Ham without all the kind of you know, if West Ham go out of the cup to Manchester United this midweek, 
Uh, obviously, they're not in Europe this season. So they just have like, what, kind of 16 league games left one a week between now and the middle of May to kind of, you know, try and build up ahead of steam and stay ahead of Spurs. And they would obviously absolutely love to finish above Spurs. I'm sure they want to qualify for Europe, clearly, but they would particularly like to finish above Spurs. Um, and yeah, I just, I would just be, I wouldn't be at all surprised if that did happen now. I've got to say, I, you know, they're, they're, Spurs obviously have better players than West Ham, much better players. Um, but West Ham at the moment look a better team, a better organised team with a clearer idea of what they're going to, like how they're trying to play football and how they're trying to score goals. And Spurs, to me, despite some of the positives that we saw on Sunday, you know, I mean, look, Spurs are playing West Ham in a couple of weeks, so we'll get a pretty, we'll get a pretty clear, clear idea then. But I, I, that's the kind of game that I think will probably show where Spurs are. And Everton as well in this cup game midweek, where teams that you think probably individually, player by player, are probably not quite as good, but I just think they're, just, they're better teams, probably. Yeah. Moment. That Everton game on Wednesday is so big. I know we say this every week now. Um, every week there's like a massive, massive Spurs game which is going to decide their season. But really, I mean, this is huge. Like I know, you know, I think it's clearly Spurs are not going to win the Premier League and I don't think they're going to get in the top four. And that means that the success or not of this Spurs season really going to hinge on the Cups. Um, I think we mentioned the other week, it's actually starting to resemble a little bit a Man United season 2016-17 where they had a pretty shaky run in sort of October, November. And then really to turn it around, they wound up winning the League Cup and then the Europa League. And, you know, by the end of the season, everyone's like, oh, Mourinho, born winner, proven winner. He's won those two cups. And uh, the fact that United had really tailed, they'd basically taken their eggs out of the um, Premier League basket in the second half of the season and wound up finishing, I think, sixth or seventh. Uh, That was completely forgotten and forgiven because United were back in the Champions League by virtue of winning the Europa League. They, you know, they'd won two trophies and I kind of feel like the dynamics of this season are heading that direction now. Like I feel like Spurs are not, you know, probably not going to finish in the top four, but they might, they might still, despite everything, end up having a pretty good end of the season. Um, And, you know, I know they're already in the League Cup final, but frankly, City are playing so well at the moment that it's not like Spurs can't afford not to do well in the FA Cup as well at the same time. Liverpool aren't in the FA Cup. Arsenal aren't in it. City will have their own other focuses in the end of the season. There's no reason Spurs can't win the FA Cup. There's only a handful of games. What have they got to win? Like three more games from here? Uh, Before, I guess. Four more more games from here against teams who are, with the exception of City, not that much better than Tottenham, really and might have their eye on other things, and Spurs might get a, might get a lucky draw. So um, maybe I'm talking talking myself into a strange position of optimism about Spurs winning this. Because also, the, you know, on top of that as well, James, the Europa League is going to be very hard as well because 31 other teams left in there. Lots of them are really good. You've got Milan, Roma, Man United, Arsenal, Benfica, Bayer Leverkusen, Napoli. Um, you know, lots of really, really good sides. But I think the FA Cup is like, somehow just seems to me to be a... Mu- a more accessible, attainable target. I mean, the obvious thing there is that the Europa League obviously comes with a Champions League place if you win it. Right. Um, I mean, that is a pretty big gamble, but I don't... Well, usually that would be a pretty big gamble, but actually from the position Spurs are in now, and I think, you know, we were of the same mindset that getting fourth place is going to take something pretty incredible. Uh, yeah, I, I would say put, putting their eggs in that basket, as you put it, would probably be a pretty good idea from this point. I mean, I know there are a lot of people that were saying the West Brom game was a big game for Spurs and it was a must-win game. I mean, it might have been a must-win game for Mourinho. But I don't really think it was for Spurs now. I, you know, I, you don't want to be dropping points in a game like that, obviously. But 
I, I don't really see that those points are really going to help Spurs now. I, I you know, they're going to drop. They're going to drop enough points between now and the end of the season to kind of run them out of uh, contention for a Champions League play. So just be very surprised if that happens. I mean, you're right; they're not that far away. If they win the game in hand, they're I think it was like kind of four behind, is it? Maybe three behind. So uh, Leicester is. I mean, so it's not. You know, obviously it's not impossible, but I would I, I would just be quite cautious about getting too excited about that. So we're going to finish today's podcast with. The question sent in on Twitter by Guy Fletcher. Uh, he says, how different would things be now if Spurs had won the Champions League final? I mean, it's good uh, that we can end on a positive note, isn't it? Yeah, it's, look, I love this question. I love these kind of counterfactual histories. Um, and I think I my personal contention on this is that while things might have seemed incredibly different ultimately Spurs would have ended up in the same place. Um, so I think that Pochettino would have, I think Pochettino would have quit after winning the Champions League because he would have, you know, that's what a lot of the players thought would happen. It would have really completed his arc at Spurs. And, you know, we would have had a few days of unbelievable uh, drama and positivity and everything. You know, there would have been a parade around Tottenham with a trophy. I'm sure they would have done an event inside the new stadium. Uh, you know, I don't want to get fans too upset thinking about that, but it would have been a pretty special moment. Then I think Pochettino would have walked. Um, and then Levy would have then had to think about, well, who who do I get to rebuild the team and uh, take the club to the, you know, continue to grow the club to the next level? And initially when I was thinking this through, I thought, well, he would have gone somewhere younger or flashier, like a kind of Nagelsmann. But then Nagelsmann was gone to RB Leipzig by then, or Hasenhutl. And I thought, well, I'm not sure Hasenhutl would be kind of big time enough. And the fact is that Levy would still be looking for someone to grow the global brand, brand of the club. He'd still be looking to someone, I think, to star in the Amazon documentary. And so I think he still would have ended up with Jose Mourinho. I just think Mourinho would have come in like five or six months earlier. Would Mourinho have taken that job? Yeah, if Spurs had just won European. I'm not sure you would. I think he would. Well, Money just after they'd won the European Cup. Yeah, I don't think he would. I don't think he'd fancy that. You're coming in like in the shadow of someone who, like, an amazingly popular manager, who would have made himself. You know, if he isn't a legend already, he would have made himself an absolute legend at the club in the eyes of the fans and everyone else. Just remember how and you're asking this. Who Mourinho? Remember how desperate he was to replace Ferguson in 2013. He wouldn't have worried about the size yeah, of the draft. Yeah, that's true. But I mean, that was, I mean, United winning the league title is just a thing that happened back then. Yeah. It was just a thing that happened pretty much. Like no, but two the point is that he's, three, not put, he's not, Mourinho is not put off by the size of the job or by the size of, like, he's not put, he, he backs himself enough that he's not, I don't think he's put off by that kind of, oh, what the big shoes I'm stepping into. Because he was desperate to replace Sir Alex. So. I think he still would have taken... And also, let's not forget, Jose was not exactly like overwhelmed with good offers in the summer of 2019. This was only about six, seven months after he got sat by Man United. Um, so I think he still would have... I think it would have been Mourinho again. And to be honest, I think Mourinho would have walked into a situation that on the surface would have been great because they won the Champions League and they would have done up the stadium and everything. Like our, you know, like our Arsenal have got the um, all the trophies they've won. Uh, at the Emirates and it would have been really cool and everything but structurally it wouldn't have been that different from the situation that he, in he inherited in the real timeline right because he would have had an exhausted squad contract problems he would have had to change the playing style some of the players would be thinking about their futures all that sort of thing and I think it would have been I think he would have faced it would basically have been 
as hard as the job that he's currently got. And I don't Do you think, think he would have gone by now? Uh, I think things will be bad by now because I think the players' attention spans with Mourinho are about 12 to 18 months is when they get bored. So if he'd taken over in July 2019, I think by now we'd be what coming towards the end of his second season. It's clear It would have been clear that Spurs are not going to win the title this year uh, because City are just too good. And I think people are thinking, Christ, two years of this now. Do we really want to go through a third year? Um, so that's my answer, Guy. I think things would be actually not that different. James, what do you it, I mean, I, I, it would be better to have won the European Cup than not. Oh, yeah, totally, like, totally. Yeah, just, totally. just want to be clear about that. But I just think like the position today, like putting aside like the, the glow that everybody would have from winning that trophy, the tattoos that you might have of the, you know, Pochettino lifting the cup or whatever. Had that lasered off and they lost. Or, or whatever. Like I, I uh, and you know, I, that absolutely counts for something. I'm not downplaying like the amazing value of winning the trophy and all the, the kind of the incredible memories that and energy that would have given I everyone. Wouldn't ca- I, I wouldn't care. I would, I wouldn't, no, if I'd won the European Cup, I would not care about, but make it be rubbish for 10 years. I wouldn't care. Have, That's fine, yeah. I don't, I'm not saying I'm not saying you should care. I'm just. It would have made this turgid nonsense more palatable. Yeah, maybe it would. Or maybe you'd be like, do you not think you might be like, oh, we've won the European Cup and we're playing this football. This is terrible. Well, no, because at the moment I think we played in the European Cup final and we're playing this football. It's terrible. So yeah, you're right. It wouldn't be that different. Do you think? Do you disagree with my timeline at all? Do you think things would have gone? Do you think Potts would have stayed and like rebuilt no, the team? And no, I think he would have gone. I think there would have been conversations behind the team about how much money would be uh, behind the scenes. Sorry, about how much money would be reinvested into the team, and the outcome of those conversations would presumably be the same as they were in the summer of 2019. Anyway, I don't think it would have changed loads. And you're right; I can see that Pochettino probably would have gone at that point, which I, probably would have been better. I think. Unless they did end up with Mourinho and it didn't really work. No, I just find it hard to imagine they would have gone for Mourinho then, but uh, maybe you're right. I don't know. I can't, I can't think who else they would have gone for. Well, Ancelotti was still at Napoli by then, I think. I just think. Where was Allegri then? Had Allegri left Juve by that point? Uh, I think Allegri left Juve the following year. No, he left Juve in 2019, right? Because he was yeah. replaced by Sarri in 2019. Is that right? Yeah, I think that's Looking right. Looking up now, yeah, that's right. He left Juve at the, in 2019. Maybe they would have got Allegri. Allegri's a kind of good, we just, here are some good players, you figure it out, type manager. But yeah, that's a really good question, Guy. Thank you very much. It's uh, depressing. Yeah, it well, it kind, of, it kind of suggests that there's no It wasn't a good question, it was a bad question. I didn't like in it. In winning anything in football, because everything just turns to shit in the end. Um, I don't want you to spring questions like that on me again. Okay, well, okay, can uh, request for the listeners, send questions that James would like. I don't really know exactly what that is. Questions that will make me happy. List your top 10 favourite Jermaine Defoe goals. That would be good, I can do that. Should we do that now? No, let's save that for next week. That's That's content is gold. Okay, well, uh, thank you very much to everyone. Thank you for the questions and the tweets. Thank you very much to James and producer Tom. So we'll be back next week uh, where we will look back at the Everton game in the FA Cup this Wednesday and the game, which is, of course, is against Manchester City in the Premier League on Saturday evening. Uh, And, of course, looking forward to another busy week for Tottenham next week. The Athletic.